Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 246, the first new episode of the new year with Susanna Kay. So thank you, loyal listeners, for entertaining the reruns, aka greatest hits of 2017, while we were going and having our first baby. Jonathan Samuel Makaitis arrived, and he is healthy and wonderful, as is mother. Adorable photo is available at the show notes. But for now, I think you will dig this conversation with Susanna because she is a professional organizer, and she's talked about organizing the stuff of your to-do lists. And we go into it. It is some detail. Maybe you haven't thought this much about a to-do list before, but Susanna does, and we have a lot of fun doing so. So you'll learn one how to cope when your tasks are too overwhelming, two, a common mistake when working the to-do lists and apps, and three, guidelines for identifying your priorities. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep246. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our handy resources. What I'd point you to here is the gold nugget email summary list. So if you listen to the show, you're running, you're driving, you wish you could take notes, but you just can't, we take those notes for you, send them right to your inbox each time there is a new guest. So you can reference it that way. Also, if you text NUG, that's N-U-G, to 444-999, you can sign up right from your smartphone directly that way. So here is Susanna's story. Uh, Susanna Kay is a speaker with a passion. She can be found training and speaking to audiences both locally and internationally about how to structure their lives in new ways to be more productive and organized. Susanna is the founder of Spark. There's an exclamation point there. Organizing LLC, as well as a former CFO for a national corporation. She brings a creative, encouraging, and judgment-free approach to productivity and organization. Her favorite topics include productivity, organization, time management, and as a LinkedIn learning author, she really does make productivity look effortless. Here is Susanna. Susanna, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'd love to get your take. You've done a number of jobs over the course of your life, but you said that uh, one was noteworthy, and that was as a Disney ferry boat driver. Can you give us the backstory there? Yes, I was lucky enough to be living in Orlando, Florida when I was younger, and one of my first few jobs that were beyond babysitting was driving the ferry boat at Walt Disney World at the Magic Kingdom, which was a fantastic job and the best customer service training I could have ever asked for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I'm intrigued. So now ferry boat driving, that sounds like it could also get pretty intense at times with regard to the people and the potential for being packed in there. Any noteworthy stories? I actually had to dock the ferry boat during a hurricane once. It was the last run of the day, and they were shutting down the ferry boats because you might not know this, but there's only four feet of those ferry boats that are under the water, and the rest is all above the water. So it's basically a giant sail. Mm-hmm. So as the winds were whipping in, it was very difficult to get that docked in this little slip, and they were just pulling the plug on it, and that was the last boat to make a run, and it took me, I think, 12 or 13 tries to get it into that slip. 
And finally, everybody cheered when I finally got it in. And oh. <laughs> it was, was wracking. I could. Oh, I them. bet yeah, everyone's watching, <laughs> and you. Oh. <laughs> It was great. I felt oh. very successful. <laughs> oh. oh, that is cool. Well, so now you are the founder of Spark Organizing. I tried to put the exclamation point in my voice there. And so you have some experience as a professional organizer and a CEO and I guess organizer of other organizers. So maybe could you kick us off by sharing, do you have any really cool stories with regard to how you saw just like an amazing transformation occur in the realm of organization and about that difference that made for someone. Yeah, well, there's so many. I've been doing this for over a decade and it's just been amazing seeing some of the changes that go on with people just simply having your space under control or your schedule. I can think of one in particular that it just amazed me because it, the great news just kept coming. Her name was Mary and we got her home under control after she'd suffered a big loss and was trying to get back on her feet. So getting her home back in control was step one. But once her home was in control, the confidence and the feeling of just having her life back in control then helped her increase her salary and her position at her job. It helped her lose weight. And she actually ended up in a new relationship, all simply from getting her space under control and feeling more confident from it. And it was amazing. And I still get updates when this is well from her. That's just Amazing things happening. It's wonderful. Oh, that is absolutely so cool. And and so we're talking about to-do lists here today. And I think that a lot of times the to-do list problems we bump into have some sort of deeper issue with regard to kind of unresolved priorities or values or decisions or some psychological stuff that's going on under the hood, under the surface there. Could you, you know, speak to maybe a pattern or two or three you've noticed when it comes to working with the the people behind the to-do list? Oh yeah. That's the great thing about the fascinating thing to me about productivity is that it really has only a little bit to do with the tools. 80% of it's the psychology that goes into it, which I love. So one of the things that I find most common is this feeling of overwhelm that people have, whether it's from the tasks seeming too daunting or something that's tapping into one of their fears or simply the quantity of them. And if they're unorganized, it can be very overwhelming and that'll just shut you down immediately. If you're feeling overwhelmed, the first thing that you do is just absolute shutdown and don't make appropriate decisions or stick your head in the sand and make no decisions at all. So that's one that I see very often. And then the other one is not knowing your priorities and by priorities, it's the true priorities, not what's on fire at the moment, but what will move you forward towards your goal and fit into your value set more than anything else on the list. And when you've got a very long list or you're being pulled in multiple directions, it's really common to lose sight of what that is. And then you feel unproductive because you get a lot done, but nothing important. Okay. Noted. And so then when it comes to that overwhelm piece, I guess, do you have sort of an SOS or an emergency stop, drop and roll protocol for, uh-oh, uh-oh, when you're in the overwhelmed place, you're either, like, as you said, making dumb choices or no choices. What do you do to sort of quickly snap out of it so that you minimize the amount of time that you're in that uh, suboptimal zone, which could have some cascading negative consequences? Right. Well, there's a couple of strategies depending on where the overwhelm is rooted. 
one of the common strategies, I don't know if your listeners have heard of Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. It's a fantastic book. But the concept there is to do whatever the scariest, ugliest, nastiest task is on your list first thing in the day. A lot of times our overwhelm is because there's something on that list that is just growing bigger and uglier that we're avoiding. So eating the frog first thing in the morning, doing that nastiest thing first is going to set you up for that day to be amazing after that because there's nothing else that will be as bad and your brain's not making this one task worse and worse and putting it off and feeling guilty that you're not doing it. So that's one of the best ways to get over that overwhelm if it's a seriously nasty task or a daunting task that you're not looking forward to. Okay, excellent. Any other kind of quick tips come to mind? Some other quick tips. Knowing your priorities, like I mentioned, one of my favorite things to do is called the top three. And when you've got that hundred task long task list, knowing which three items out of all of them are the most important then fit into your goals and your values, that means that you can mentally let go of the rest. So you no longer need to be overwhelmed by the other 97 items because you know none of those are as important as the three that you have highlighted that you're working on now. And that can just give you that sense of relief. But when you don't know, when they all seem equally important, that's a great way to get you to shut down right away. So that's another one of my top go-to ones. Okay, noted. Well, so then I'm curious then, as I'm going to dig into some particulars, but just to make sure I don't uh, overlook any of the best stuff. You've got a whole LinkedIn learning course about to-do lists, which I think is pretty cool to go into some depth on this topic. And so I'm curious when it comes to all the work you've done with all your folks, you know, what do you see as being some of the, the most high leverage suggestions that you offer in terms of folks making the most of their to-do lists? The one that I have come across with almost every single coaching client that I've worked on for productivity is over-organizing it, over it, working with tools that aren't appropriate. So for example, I had a coaching client front that was international and he would frequently change his task management programs because he was trying to find the perfect holy grail of task management that's going to solve all the problems. And it's not out there. There's no one that's perfect for any one person. They all have some issues. You just have to find the ones that work with your personality type. And then, and this is the part that nobody seems to grasp easily. It's then stick with it and keep working on it through that, the growing pains of it and the learning process of it. And once you've committed to it, really commit to it long-term so you can then analyze it and see what parts of it could be better. But at the beginning, it's way too early to be changing to another platform. Again, you're not gathering all the information you need about your personality and what's working and what's not working. So don't grab that overly complicated list thinking that it's going to be that wonderful problem solver unless you're willing to stick it out and see which parts of it are truly useful. So don't keep hopping around. Don't choose the overcomplicated option go for just what you need and stick to it. Okay, that's good. Thank you. So now let's talk a bit more about the priorities matter. You know, in terms of a lot of folks, they, they start from a place where their priorities are unclear. You had a tip earlier just there about the, the zeroing in on, on the top three uh, as an antidote for overwhelm. And so then what are kind of the, the key questions or rules of thumb you use to quickly surface? What's the true priority here? I think setting your goals is the important first step. 
when you're talking about priorities. If you don't know what your overall goals are, you don't know how these different tasks fit into them. So when I'm assessing priorities, I sit down with what my goals are and specifically what my highest goal is at that point in time, because you know we always have more than one. We've got a bunch of things that we want to do. So knowing which top goal you're working on, that will then help you see which of those tasks will help you reach that goal fastest. So out of your task list, figure out which one's going to move you closer to that finish line the fastest while still fitting in with their values of who you are. A lot of times we leave values out of our goals and that's a surefire way to come to a crashing halt because our insides resist reaching a goal that does not align with our values. So if it's not inspiring to you, it's probably not a good goal. And the same thing with the task. If it's not inspiring to you, you don't feel like it's part of that passion, it's probably not supposed to be on your task list. And what's intriguing when it comes to priorities is I think that some of the goals could nest into much bigger sort of macro goals, like areas of life. So I think like many, many, many things on my to-do list could sort of fit in the realm of run a great business or grow wealth. And so I think sort of within that area, I could get a, a means of prioritizing metrics such as estimated wealth uh, creation per hour invested is a metric I use as I'm kind of thinking through different potential initiatives. But there are other important goals like be a great husband, make my wife feel loved and cherished and great, which are, are a little trickier in terms of finding a, a clear unit for prioritizing that. And then there's the bigger question in terms of the prioritizing across sort of disparate life areas and sort of what takes the cake. And so then this is almost like a existential or sort of deep human purpose type question. But how do you help clients navigate those trickier questions of priority setting? That's a very big question, and there's so much that I would love to just dump on you with this answer. But I'm going to just pick a couple of areas and focus on those. First off, I do believe that you do need a broad set of goals. There's not just one area of your life that you're trying to achieve great things in, such as being a great husband needs to go along with building wealth. I think making your goals smart goals is very important in order to make sure that you're working towards the goal in the way that you want to achieve it. And for those who aren't familiar with SMART goal, there's a different words for the acronym depending on where you learned it. But basically it is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. So you need to be able to set a value to know when you have achieved this. So for me, being a good wife might mean my husband absolutely loves when I cook dinner. It makes him feel very loved. So being a good wife, my goal might include cooking dinner two nights a week for the month. And then at the end of the month, I can then look back and say, okay, well, I had time bound. It's within a month. I had a quantifiable number. It's measurable two times a week. It is attainable and realistic. It's very specific. Did I achieve this? So knowing those SMART goals makes it a little bit easier to see exactly what you're working towards instead of just be a good wife, which can be a little overwhelming and daunting as well because you don't know how to do that unless you set a measurable number to it. And could you help me? I've wondered about this. So I've seen a variety of the SMART goal acronyms and done a few speeches on it myself. So 
Could you distinguish for me between attainable and realistic? Those kind of sound like the same thing. They do sound a lot like the same thing. And depending on, like I said, where you learn them from, back in my days in business school, those were the words that they used. But in the way that I use it, attainable would be if it is something that can be achieved within the reasonable amount of time that you've set. So if I were to say, I'm going to cook dinner eight nights a week, (laughs) that is not attainable. Realistic in this sense kind of crosses over that. For me, realistic is fits into how my life is structured. If I were to say seven days a week, for me, that's not realistic. Yes, it's attainable, but it is not realistic in my scheduling and my lifestyle. That's the framework I use. Like I said, though, depending on where you've studied, they have different acronyms, but it all still falls into that same framework. Okay, understood. Thank you. Well, so so then about priorities. So we talked about some of the big questions. Anything else you want to say about uh, zeroing in on and establishing priorities? Yes. Another part that I love to use with people as far as priorities, because we're all in different points emotionally in our lives at different points in our lives. There is, if you search it online, you can probably even find a sample of it. And I can always send you a link. But if you create a pie chart that shows the different areas of your life, such as spirituality, relationship, financial, health, all of those major areas, and then rate how you feel about your life right now in each of those areas and just color it in up to the point where you feel like you are succeeding in that area, then that's going to be a great visual about what areas you need to focus on as far as your priorities and goals go. So if it's being a good wife, if my relationship is a 10 out of 10 right then or an 8 out of 10, that's great. But that means that those goals might not be as high on my list as maybe my health, which might be a 5 out of 10. So that's going to help me figure out which of those goals as in my life as a whole should be more top focus so I can keep that a balanced circle rather than some being in the one or two areas and not even noticing it until it's too late. Okay, cool. Thank you. Now, I also enjoyed hearing your if only one thing approach. Could you unpack that a little bit? This one goes along very well with my type of personality. And I am definitely one of those people where I naturally rebel against other people telling me what I should do as well as myself telling me what I should do. So some days I simply need to feel successful. And I have on my desk a picture frame with a framed piece of paper that says, if I can only accomplish one thing today, it will be. And within that, there's a box and I take a dry erase marker and I write the main goal for me. If I complete this one thing, I can feel that the day was a success. Most of the time, this is my frog. It might be just something that really has a tight deadline that needs to be done. And I know that once this is off my plate, I will feel better. But this is my one thing. And that way, no matter what breaks out during my day, what fires happen, what goes wrong, if that was completed at the end of the day, I can still give myself a pat on the back because that one thing was achieved. And that was my goal. I had one. So then those really rough days is the only thing that keeps me away from the Ben and Jerry's. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. 
Well, so then I'm thinking about all these things. And so if we're going to get into some systems type approaches. And I like how you mentioned that the personality and the differences and the preferences and how that all kind of plays in together. So whenever talking to productivity folks, I like to get them to weigh in on what are your thoughts when it comes to David Allen and, and getting things done or GTD? I think it's a great system. I think that there are so many great systems out there, actually. And like I mentioned before, it has a lot to do with your personality type. Currently, I have my absolute favorite book. I keep buying copies of this book and giving it to people because I think everybody should read it. It's called The Four Tendencies. I don't know. Are you familiar with The Four Tendencies at all by Gretchen Rubin? Just from what I've read in the summary. So I haven't read the whole thing myself. Yes. Well, it is a must read because it really digs into not only what your own personality type is as far as accountability, but also those around you. So I understand the people who work for me better. I understand my husband better because of this book, but I primarily understand myself better. All of a sudden it clicked that I am not the type of person who works well with a very structured list. It's just everything that I naturally fight against. So there are four tendencies in general when it comes to how we meet expectations. There's uh, the upholder who can meet both inner and external expectations without much problem. That's the one I wish I was, but I'm very far from it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's the obliger who does really well with meeting outer expectations, which are if somebody else needs it, they're really good at making sure to get that done, but they're not as good at getting it done for themselves if it's just an internal desire. Then there's the opposite. There's the questioner. They're really good once they feel that it's logical. They're good at having those internal expectations met. Or if it's an external expectation, if somebody else asks for something, if it falls into their own logic, they're really good at meeting those. And then there's the rebel. And that is where I fall. We need to see it as part of our identity. We have to really have it resonate with who we are a lot of times in order to get things done. So simply having somebody else ask for it or deciding that we should do it is not enough for us. So knowing these tendencies about yourself tells you a lot more about the systems that will work for you. So some of these very structured systems are fantastic for somebody who might be an upholder or a questioner and who's really good at those internal expectations and doing what they've decided they want to do. Now, somebody like an obliger or a rebel might have a little bit more difficulty with a structure because there's no external accountability for the obliger. So it might be a little bit too much. It might be a little too overwhelming. There's just uh, too detailed. And then for a rebel, the details, when you get down to that level, can be kind of suffocating. It's way too much detail, puts a whole lot of pressure on it. You've spent so much time planning just to let yourself down. So that being said, somebody like a rebel does really well with a looser system. So something like the getting things done or some of the more robust task management systems, something like OmniFocus or Todoist or Wonderlist that have all these great bells and whistles, those don't work quite as well for a rebel because there's just too much detail. But if we can work with our moods and our emotions and our energies within a simpler list, so I use Clear myself, or there's also Google Keep is a really good one, and they're just very basic lists, and you can have lists of lists within them, but without all of the flagging and tagging and all of those things, 
Those work really well for rebels because they're very simple and you can go with your mood and go with your energy when you feel the pull to do these things. Now the upholders, they do really, really well with things like the getting things done system or OmniFocus or Todoist. Those are great for them because they love the details. And like I said, I wish I was more of a detail person, but us rebels have some good things too. (laughs) And then there's also the bullet journal, which is a fantastic system for people who don't necessarily want to be tied to the technology. So not everything is necessarily good online for everyone. So if you like something more paper-based, a bullet journal, and does not have to be drawn on all pretty and you don't have to spend hours setting it up, but that can be a really good system for people too. So know your personality type, test some out and see if it works for you really well, then just adjust the few things that need to be changed. But if it's just a struggle, then it's probably the wrong system for you. And you should go to something either more simple or more structured or offline. Well, now, and I'm intrigued there when it comes to, if it's a struggle for you, then you maybe need to change your system. But thinking about your previous advice when it comes to don't kind of always be flip-flopping and, and jump into the next thing. I guess I'm wondering if there might be some, I don't know, fundamental kind of mindset or discipline or habit things that need to kind of be in place to make any system work. And without them, all systems will fail. Can you comment on, on a couple of those sort of universal human fundamentals that may be at play here? Most definitely. And yes, you should not just jump crazily from one to another. I say give everything. If you're going to try it, try it solidly for at least 30 days. And by solidly, I mean, if you fall off the wagon, get back up and then go for 30 days from there. Don't miss a week and then hop back on for another week and say that it's not working. So that's one of the basics with humans, 30 days, 28 days, there's varying numbers, but they're all around the same area to build a new habit. If you do something consistently for approximately 30 days, that's when the habits start to get built. And that's when the struggle becomes less because now it's just something you do instead of something you have to try to remember. So with any of these systems, building that 30 days habit is important because if you've done that after 30 days and it's still a struggle, that's when it's obviously the system and not just the underlying habits. Understood. Okay. And a bullet journal, can you elaborate? What is that? How do we get our hands on one? Sure. A bullet journal, you have your hands on it right now. It's simply a book and a pencil or a pen. And a bullet journal, it begins with an index usually, or you could put it at the end. I I put mine at the beginning, but the first part is an index and it indexes all of the different topics you've covered within the journal. And then within the journal, you can have multiple things you track. The main thing is going to be your daily activities. So for today, I would have my 10 or so tasks, and then I would index the page that those tasks are on, or if I took meeting notes with those tasks, the meeting information that those that, that page is on in that index. So my index can now tell me where my notes are or what page it is on that I did certain tasks and certain activities for tracking purposes and to look things back up, which is one of the things in a paper system you lose. You don't, you can't just do a search. So it's kind of a couple pages of your search function is what that is at the beginning, referring to the page numbers of these different topics, these different keywords. And then within it's your task lists and they have a series of symbols 
that tell you at the end of the day, whether you have completed the task or did you migrate it to the next day or did you delegate it to somebody else? There are just different ways that you can use these symbols in order to show what happened with that task and keep it on your radar. So it does not just die on that day and you aren't writing all of these tasks over and over and over. They're specifically moving to the next day or to a specific calendar day or being delegated or completed. Okay. That's cool. And so when it comes to the icon demarcations, how do we know those? Or we just make them up ourselves? Or is there sort of a master reference list? There is a master reference list if you just Google online bullet journals, but I make up my own because my brain likes to identify things differently. So to me, having an X next to something does not mean the same necessarily as to you. So when I complete a task, I like the X versus a check mark or versus crossing it out. So I say make up whatever works for you. Just be consistent with it. I like to put a dot next to anything that's delegated because to me, it's kind of like a period. So done. (laughs) You know, it's so funny as you talk about this, it really is coming to life. When I am writing things down as sort of like a temporary or sort of like a daily type view, because I do love OmniFocus myself. I guess I'm upholding. It's tremendous. Uh, So, but when I am doing a a paper thing, maybe just try to kind of focus my day. It's like, all right, this is what's up for today, as opposed to OmniFocus having the omnibus compendium of all commitments and actionable ideas ever conceived in my brain. It's kind of the the storehouse of that. So if I'm doing it for the day, I really like to cross out the item or sort of strike through, that's what we call it, strike through with a green marker. I don't know, it just feels like that's so done, like green or cash or I don't know. So that's there. And when I delegate, I like to have it be a triangle with the point I guess it's not equilateral, but it's sort of pointed to the right, kind of like, hey, this goes to somebody else, not me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, make the icons your own, but, you know, the Googling might uh, spark some inspirations. Yes. Now, I will warn you, when you Google it, you will see a number of these bullet journals where people have taken a lot of time to draw out, either make it beautiful or draw different charts and structures. And you can do that if that's what you want to do. And for some people, it's a really good meditation at the beginning or the end of the day. And it really helps them connect with their day and have that peaceful time as they lay out this journal of their day. So some people really thrive with that, but you don't have to do all of that. So a lot of people will see online these pictures of these bullet journals that look so complex. Just remember they don't have to be. You can even create one one time and print it out each time you need it and put it in a three-ring binder if that helps. If you are like me and want to get to your day, instead of drawing out your day for an hour, then it can be done with a bullet journal. Do not let it scare you off. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And, and I also want to get your view on when it comes to tasks and calendars. I hear a couple schools of thought. And what, one is that, well, you know, the calendars for the hard landscape of that which is scheduled which is sort of, I have an appointment with Susanna at 4.30 p.m. Central Time, and that's there. And so then when it comes to putting tasks on the calendar, do you have some perspective, like some would say they don't belong there. And others would say, oh, no, no, you should absolutely 
schedule the things because what we don't schedule just sort of maybe never happens. So you know, how do you navigate the pros, cons, distinctions, guidelines when it comes to putting tasks on a calendar? That's a good question. And you're going to hate it because I'm going to come back to my answer of it depends on your personality type. But I think it's a good practice to do every once in a while, whether it's putting it on the calendar or tracking your time, no matter what your personality type is, in order to make sure you're being realistic about how long your tasks truly take. So spending a week putting them on and all on your calendar is actually a really good practice to do every once in a while to make sure that you are still being realistic about how long each of these items take, because most of the time we grossly underestimate how long a task takes. Now, if you're the personality type that loves to schedule them on the calendar, then that is perfect. I think the calendar is a great place for it. And especially with these digital calendars these days, you can have multiple calendars that you can show and hide. So I don't see why you would not have a task list as one of them, if that's something that you do well with. I personally have been known to schedule batching on my calendar. Now, what batching is, is it's taking similar tasks and doing them all in the same block of time. So for example, when I scheduled a batched day, I might have one hour of answer emails. I might have one hour of making phone calls. And these calls could be for different subjects and different projects, but it's me being on the phone for one hour or me being on the computer or me being in the filing cabinets, doing actual paperwork items similar items in one time block. And that does really well on a calendar. If you don't want to write each individual task on the calendar, that's fine. Batch them. And then your brain does not have to lose that productivity time switching between task types because it takes a little bit for our brain to go from a phone call to an email to a computer file. It just takes a moment. Certainly. Okay. Well, Susanna, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? I can't think of anything else. I think it's most important. Just know your goals and the values that are attached to them. And when you're thinking about your goals and the priorities for the day, also one of the questions I like to ask myself is, is this going to matter in five years? So sometimes when it seems like you've got these different tasks that are equally important, some of them in five years, it will have made an effect and some of them it won't. So that's a good question sometimes to bring a little bit more clarity as to what's the bigger priority. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Ah, I've got two, of course, because I'm a quote person. I am very focused on helping others achieve more in their lives. So one of my favorite quotes that's out there right now is empowered women, empower women. And I have that on a t-shirt. I've got that on my wall. And then my other favorite quote that I've had since I was younger is by Edith Wharton. It's be the light or the mirror that reflects it. And to me, that simply means I don't need to be the one that shines all the time if I'm helping other people shine in the world. And that just means a lot to me. Okay, great. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Oh, I mentioned The Four Tendencies. Everybody needs to read that one by Gretchen Rubin. I think it's fantastic. And I heard about... Gretchen Rubin actually through Oprah. If you don't mind me telling another podcast of the three podcasts that are on my favorites podcast list, it is yours. It is Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and Marie Forleo's. And I think that those three are the top hitters. And that's where you find out about all these 
big mind leaders that are in the world today. It's those three. Oh, shucks. I'm flattered. You probably say that to every podcaster who interviews you. Oh, it's you and Oprah. It's you and Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. It's those three. I love to find the thought leaders of the day and the people who can bring these people to an accessible way, I just think is wonderful. So those are some of the other two. If they're listening to the podcast here, they already know about you. And those are the two others that need to be on their list. Okay, cool. Thank you. And and how about a favorite study or experiment or or a bit of research you find compelling? Oh, I am frequently amazed actually by research on the storage industry and the amount of clutter in our lives. Of course, being an organizer, but there's just so many billions of dollars spent each year on storage. And it is one of the fastest growing industries in America today. And it's very unique to America to be such a huge industry. It's just, it blows my mind and I'm fascinated. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't think I knew that. So you're talking about like self-storage lockers type stuff. Yes. All of these places that we put our things temporarily and then forget about them, but keep paying the bill. (laughs) Those places. Yes. Well, so, okay, if you could indulge us any intriguing numbers, so there's many billions spent on it. It's high growth. I'm wondering what's the average length of time that someone maintains a storage locker? Because in some ways, I think that makes sense. It's like, you know, hey, I've got an internship for three months in this other city, and I'm not going to take everything there and back. So I think there are certain contexts where that makes total sense. But you're saying that it's quite common that folks just shove it there for years and years and, and forget about it, but keep paying. They do. And I don't have a statistic on how many years, but one of my favorite statistics is that the U.S. has upwards of 50,000 storage facilities, which is more than five times the number of Starbucks, which is amazing because you see a Starbucks everywhere you go and there are more storage facilities than that. Wow. That is intriguing in so many ways. I'm dreaming up business ideas as we speak. All right, bring it back, bring it back. And, and how about a favorite tool? You know, something that helps you be awesome at your job. I think my favorite tool is actually my label maker. I love my label maker because if you can see things nicely labeled, your brain can read it and register it better. Even if you've got great handwriting, it registers it better if it's printed. So it just puts your brain at ease and makes it easier. And the, and the high contrast, I find. And because now you're using the Dymo I saw in some of your photos. I have two because as an organizer, if one breaks, you need a backup. All right. I don't think everybody needs two. My favorite is the brother though. Oh, okay. My brother. Mm-hmm. All right. Say it again. What is it, my brother? It's called P-Touch. The letter P and then the word touch. Okay. Very good. A- any thoughts on the pros and cons? That's right. We go into detail here. Let's hear it. Yeah. Dymo, it's simply the cost and waste of label tape <laughs> because they leave so much blank tape on the end of each label. It's simply more cost efficient to use the brother's P-Touch version than the Dymo. That's the math. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like you're saying that the P-Touch is overall fundamentally superior. I believe so. Okay. Well, I saw a picture of you with the, with the Dymo label maker and I thought, oh, I've got the same label maker. That's so cool. And now you come in here and say, <laughs> actually, that one sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. My other one's better. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad I asked. So. Sure. Dymo looks better for pictures, cheaper to use. <laughs> well, it is a sleek looking unit. I- I'll hand you that. So at the very least, if, you know, not to trash Dymo, but I will say... The Dymo has served me well. It's very quick. It's very portable. I can even operate it one-handed. I have large hands. And it looks good in a photo. So we'll give them that. 
does. Yes. It's a very handsome and it does work well. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. And then when it comes to habits in terms of things you do to be awesome at your job, what are they? Gratitude. I think gratitude is the habit that I can tell when I start to slack because things just don't run quite as smoothly or as well. And I miss opportunities because my brain and my eyes are just not open to them. But by focusing on the things I am grateful for and the why, why I'm grateful for them, it makes me aware of so many other opportunities out there when I come across them instead of being closed off to them. So it's been the best habit for my personal life as well as my business life. Okay. And is there a particular nugget that you share in your speaking or trainings that seems to really connect and resonate, getting folks nodding their heads and saying yes and taking notes? I think the main thing that I share that resonates with people is just, it's okay. Everybody has their thing that they're not at the level they want to be at and just keep going. You're not alone. So if your home is not where you want it to be, if you're not as productive as you think that you should be or as successful as you feel like you should be, it's okay. As long as you're still taking that next step every day, keep going because we all fail. We just don't do it publicly. (laughs) So we're all in the same boat. I'm pretty sure even Oprah has rough days that she just does not post on Facebook, but we can relate to her. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where would you point them? I would tell them to find me on my Facebook page. Just search for Spark Organizing on Facebook. And that's where I'm always having conversations. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think probably my call to action would be to figure out what your breakthrough goal is and keep that in mind. And by breakthrough goal, I mean that one thing that if you could achieve it, it would change your life. And just know that and keep that in front of you each day. Okay. Beautiful. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for taking this time and and sharing. It's been a lot of fun. I wish you much luck with your organizing and speaking and training and, and all you're up to. Well, thank you so much. I truly enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Susanna's recommendations there when it comes to do lists. And one thing she mentioned after we stopped recording, and I didn't quite capture it, but I want to make sure you get it because it's opening my eyes as we've been organizing this whole home, you know, pre-baby, is she said, over the door shoe racks, if you've seen those, don't have to only be used over the door. You can nail them. You can glue them. You can use Velcro strips to get them in place for dead closet wall spaces that suddenly become useful closet wall spaces. So I personally found that very transformational. So there's an extra freebie. I hope that and or Susanna's great insights on to-do lists are useful in your world. And again, if you want to check out those show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F247. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Eddie Davila, and he is talking about how to handle pressure situations, how to rise up and enjoy it, not choke and have fun with it. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.